Um, and uh, so uh, I, I'm uh, excited to be able to worship with you. Um, it's, it's been a little while since I, I, I've had the opportunity to sing like this um, in, in certain places, in certain churches, uh, uh, with social distancing requirements, we're not able to sing. And that's it's very hard. So I was, I, was, I was very joyful to be able to sing with you this morning. Uh, our scripture text today is from Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7 is the first point in a 10-point sermon by Moses. The children of Israel are on the uh, eastern shore of the Jordan River, getting ready to enter into the promised land. Moses, in Deuteronomy 5, reiterates, restates the Ten Commandments, and then proceeds over the next 20 chapters to explain what they mean for the life of Israel as they are going into the promised land. And I know what you're hoping. I'm ho- you're hoping that I did not take preaching lessons from Moses, and this will not be a 10-point sermon on the edge of a river. We, we are halfway through Moses' first point on the first commandment. Obey God, serve him, love him. He is your only God. And as Moses is explaining this command, this first command, he, re- he says five times in this chapter, why should you obey God? And over and over again, his response is, because he loves us. That is our gospel motivation. Why do we obey God? Why are we Christians? Why do we resist sin? Why do we do things that make us outsiders to our friends and our family and our colleagues? And the first motivation is this, because God loves us. In order to understand what Moses has for us in, as he's explaining this command, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. So will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, this is your word. It is the only true thing that we have. Everything else is broken like our world, including our hearts. Our hearts may lie to us, but your word never does. And so, Lord, I ask that you would send your Holy Spirit among us this morning, that we would hear these words that you inspired Moses to write, and that these words would change our hearts, that we would be people motivated by your love for us, and that that love would not rest as pure emotion, but that it would change our actions. And so, Lord God, please, Change our hearts, soften our hearts this morning that we might see wonderful things in your law. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 7, starting in verse 1. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, 
seven nations more numerous and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God gives them over to you to defeat them, you must devote them to complete destruction. You must not make any covenant with them, and you must show them no mercy. You shall not intermarry with them. You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor take their daughters for your sons. For they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you, and he would destroy you quickly. But thus you shall deal with them. You shall break down their altars and dash to pieces their pillars and chop down their asherim, burn their carved images with fire. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more, number, more in number or that any, uh, than any other people that the Lord set your, his love upon you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all the peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and he is keeping his oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with the one who hates him. He will repay him to the face. You shall be careful to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. Because, and because you listen to these rules and statutes and keep and do them, the Lord your God will love you with, uh, and keep the, you, with you the covenant the steadfast love that he swore to your fathers. He will love you, bless you, and multiply you. He will bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of the, your ground and the grain of your wine and your oil and the increase of your herds and the young of your flock in the land that he swore to your fathers to give you. You shall be blessed above all peoples. There shall not be male or female barren among you or among your livestock. The Lord will take away all sickness, and none of the evil diseases of Egypt, which you knew, will he inflict on you, but he will lay them on all who hate you. And you shall consume all the peoples that the Lord your God will give over to you, and you shall not pity them, nor shall you serve their gods. But that would be a snare to you. And if you say in your heart, these nations are greater than, than I, how can I dispossess them? You shall not be afraid of them, or you shall be you shall remember that the Lord your God, what your Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all of Egypt. The great trials that your eyes saw, the signs, the wonders, the mighty hand, the outstretched arm, by which the Lord your God brought you out, so will the Lord your God do to all the peoples of whom you are afraid. Moreover, the Lord your God will send hornets among them until those who are left and hide themselves from you are destroyed. You shall not be in dread of them, for the Lord your God is in your midst, 
a great and awesome God. The Lord your God will clear away these nations before you little by little. You may not make a end of them at once, lest the beasts grow too numerous for you. But the Lord your God will give them over to you to throw them into confusion until they are destroyed. And he will give their kings into your hand, and you shall make their name perish from under heaven. No one shall be able to stand against you until you have destroyed them. The carved images of the gods you shall burn with fire, and you shall not covet the silver or the gold that is in them, or take it for yourself, lest you be ensnared by it. For it is an abomination to the Lord, and you shall not bring, you shall not bring an abominable thing into the house and become devoted to destruction like it. You shall utterly detest and abhor it, for it is devoted to its destruction. This is the word of the Lord. There are some verses that's hard to say, isn't it? There was a wealthy young man who I was very well educated. He was faithful. He was uh, the good stock, as you might say. And he came to see a teacher. And we might question his motives. Why was he doing this? Was he just propping himself up? But he asked the, the teacher a very important question. He said to the teacher, what must I do to be saved? Do you know the young man? Oh, we don't know his name, but the teacher, we know that teacher. That was Jesus. And the rich young ruler, as it says in our Bibles, came to him and he said, I've done all of this. And he says he just looked at him and loved him and felt pity for him. And the man went away. We often feel that. What must I do? That's kind of our natural go-to, especially when we read a text like Deuteronomy 7. What must I do to be saved? That wasn't just this young man who questioned Jesus in this manner. In fact, Nicodemus in John 3 famously comes to Jesus at night. We know you are from God, teacher. No one could do the things you do unless God was with him. What has Jesus said to him? Some of us think it's an odd response, but he's, he's getting at the man's heart. And he says, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. What is Jesus saying? He's saying to Nicodemus, and the reason that he looked with sadness on that young man was this, is that they mo- both missed the ticket. There is nothing you can do to be saved. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. This is our salvation. It is not of works lest anyone should boast. By the grace of God. And so as Moses is preaching the law, do these things, we like the young man and we like Nicodemus, so easily ask, then what do I need to do, God? And there are many things to do in this text. There are many hard things that God says that you must do in this text. But what I want you to focus on is this, is the order. Why do we obey God? 
We obey God because he loves us. Because the Lord your God has made you a treasured possession. And not because of anything you've done or anything of who you are. It's not because you are a great nation that the Lord your God has set his love upon you. But it's because your God loves you. That's why you must obey him. Her, some pastors put it this way, the imperative rests on the indicative and the order is not reversible. Now, I'm nerdy and that speaks to me, right? <laughs> but that doesn't mean to speak to, to you. Then let me rephrase. We obey God because he loves us. God does not love us because we obey him. There is nothing you can do to make God love you more and importantly for many of you, there is nothing you can do to make God love you less. This is our gospel motivation, that God loved us first. And so this is what Moses is trying to teach the people as he begins his sermon on the Ten Commandments. And so the first 11 verses give us this one Point. They say, because, Moses says, because God loves us, we must obey the commandment. Now, as, as we, you see that, it's, he says it right there in verse 11. And I think the wording is important. He says, you shall therefore, why therefore? Because God loves you. Because God loves you, you must therefore be careful to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. And so there's, there's really two ideas that unify these 11 verses. And the first one is this, is the love of God motivates our obedience to the commandment. Nowhere in this chapter is more clear on that than verses 7 and 8. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord your God has set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all the people. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. That is why God is bringing you into this land. That is why God redeemed you. That is why God conquered Pharaoh. So our obedience is always and only a response to the love of God. I I think my favorite theology professor is my son. Matthias has a way of communicating the gospel to me in a way that makes sense. And so as we, we discuss the salvation, he's he's working up the nerve to talk to, uh, his, uh, to our pastor about uh, taking communion and, and confessing his faith in front of the church. And so as we work through that, Matthias, what, what does it mean to, to believe in God? What does it mean to, to sin and to, to need repentance and that salvation? Um, I'll say to Matthias, well, Matthias, what's wrong with us? And he says, well, there's sin wrong with us. That's right. Well, what do we need to do about that? He, he says, well, 
we need to repent. Well, how, how, how do we get forgiven? I, we repent, we say sorry, but how do we actually get forgiven? Why, why is sin no longer a problem? And he says, well, Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that, that, that if we believe in him, that God forgives us. And then, then he tells me something very important. I say, Matthias, why does God forgive us? And Matthias says, well, because he loves us. And, and I ask him again. I, 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 he's, he's smart, so I need, I need to really you know, pick his brain on these things. And, and I say, Matthias, why does God love us? And what was it Matthias thinks? And he says, because he loves us. <laughs> Matthias gets it. That it, is, it is not anything that we've done. And, and, and he's essentially just telling us what Deuteronomy verse 8 says. Deuteronomy 7 verse 8 says, God loves you because he loves you. <laughs> and he promised to. What is that Hebrew says? By two unchangeable things that God cannot lie. He promised. And so, so what is it that brings you into God's family? It is his love, ultimately. That is our first motivation. But God doesn't leave us at this point of, I love you, now go do your thing. He says, obey. That our obedience must be our response to God's love. And a lack of obedience, what does it mean? It, it means we haven't really grasped the love that God has for us. It hasn't changed our lives. It hasn't reached down into our hearts and transformed us. When Moses says in verse 11, you shall therefore be careful to do the commandment, I, I, think, I don't think he made a grammatical error. I, I don't think he's confusing the, all the commandments he just gave us and some other singular commandment. I, I think what he's saying is that because God loves us, we need to obey this one first commandment. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And so this one command that, he, that Moses referenced in verse 11 is what ties the other commands in the rest of the preceding 10 verses. Now, actually, eight other commands, if you kind of count them, count the imperatives in verses 1 to 10. And we could be like, wow, that's a lot of commands. That's a lot of doing. <laughs> Why? Uh, well, well, look at some of them. God brings us, brings his people into the land to take possession of it. And you must devote them to destruction. You must make no covenant with them. Well, what does that mean? Well, what's the deal with a covenant? Well, a covenant is this relationship where we agree to be family. It's, it's, it's more than a family. I, I often tell my students that, that, um, I, that a covenant is a relationship based on a promise. And God's promise is, I will always be with you. I will be your God, and you will be my people. That is my promise to you. And so if you were to enter into a covenant with another God, with another people's God, you'd be taking their promises, their God's relationship, their God's family. So Moses is not just being mean. 
But th- this is very important because he's saying, you belong to God. You are, he says in verse 6, you are his treasured possession. We had a kids camp uh, the year before COVID uh, in Shishawinigan, and our theme was lost things. And the last day on Friday, uh, I preached on the treasure lost in a field. And, and Jesus' point when he talks about that treasure that was lost in a field, that, the, that the, the man runs and sells all that he has and goes and buys it, he says, that's the kingdom of heaven. That's my church. That, that Christ gave up all that he had, the throne, the very throne of heaven, and he became man because you are his treasure possession. So therefore, you shall have no other gods before me. Don't make covenants with them. Don't enter into a relationship with another person that would draw you away from God. Where is your most important relationship? Is it God? Because watch out, as you seek these other things, these other relationships, as you, as you, as you think about marriage, young people, what is your priority in marriage? If you and your spouse are not together in this covenant, then it will lead you away. They will be a snare to you. We don't like it saying it that way. Love conquers all, we'd like to say, but Moses is telling to us this one relationship, this one love trumps all the others or you don't have this one love. So because God loves us, we must obey the commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. And don't even walk down that road to another God. Don't enter into those relationships with those other nations Don't enter those marriages that will lead you away. And the New Testament tells us the same thing. 1 John chapter 4 tells us that this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. See, God's love comes first. Throughout 1 John, as, as John is explaining to us the love of God that motivates our obedience, this change in life, he quotes what he calls a new commandment. He got that from Jesus. Listen to what Jesus tells us is the new commandment. In John chapter 13, he begins the chapter in verse 1 by saying this, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were already in the world. He loved them to the end. And he gives the command in verse 34, a new command I give you, that you love one another just as I loved you. You also are to love one another. That this basic motivation of God's love to us must motivate everything else we do, whether it is worship, whether it is our marriage, whether it is our covenants, whether it is our work, whether it is our love that we have for our communities. It is God's love that motivates all other things. You see, we are a lot like the Israelites. John Calvin says our hearts are idol factories. We create things to distract us from God. 
And so this morning, I ask you to hear Moses' words to you. God has loved you. Therefore, go and obey him first. The second thing Moses says to us is that because God loves us, you must be a blessing. Verse 13, he will love you, bless you, and multiply you. He will bless the fruit of your womb, the fruit of the ground, your, and your grain, and your wine, and your oil, and the increase of your herds, and the young of your flocks, and the land that he swore to your father is to give you. You shall be blessed above all peoples. There shall not be male or female or barren among you. And the Lord your God will take away all the sickness and none of the disease of Egypt, which you knew, will he inflict on you. But he will lay them, <clears throat> he will lay them on all who hate you. That's a lot of blessing. How did that work out in Israel's life? Well, the way that God asked, said that this was supposed to work out for them was that they would be the blessing that, they, uh, that God was giving to them. So in a few chapters later, in Deuteronomy 15, God lays out this, this plan for how this blessing is going to take place. Deuteronomy 15, we'll, we'll read verse 7. If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your hearts or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. You see, God's plan for his Israelite people was that the way that the blessing would come to them was through their community. You are the blessing. This plan of God hasn't actually changed. This is what God said to Abraham in Genesis 12. Do you remember it? You will be a blessing, Abraham. And through your descendants, all nations will be blessed. Now, of course, the great blessing that God is ultimately looking forward to in his promise to Abraham is the pressing of the blessing of the Messiah. That salvation our greatest need is met through this one covenant family. Abraham's family becomes the pathway to salvation for all men. Through you, Abraham, all nations will be blessed. But God is but God's not only concerned with, with our ultimate salvation, but our daily needs too. He is a good father and cares for us. And God's plan in caring for us is to give us a family. Jesus speaks about this in Mark chapter 10. In Mark 10, Jesus is, is speaking to his disciples who are struggling with this idea of, of, of poverty, of, of having no family, having no possessions, very much the opposite of the rich young man. And Jesus says to them, Mark 10, verse 29, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is none, there is no one who has left house or brother or sister or mother or father or children or lands 
for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Do you see God's blessing for his people there? Yes, eternal life. That's there, and that is the ultimate, the final, the great blessing God has for his people. And that is the promise that God has been at the work fulfilling since he made it to Abraham. He says, houses and brothers and sisters and mother and father and children and land. This is what you gain. How do we do that? How does that happen? How do we gain a new family? Well, that's the church. That's, that's you. That, that, that is Hope Church, Music, Pennsylvania. You are God's, the fulfillment of God's promise. First, to the people who are sitting next to you. Your brothers and your sisters, God's reward for you in this time. That was God's plan with, with the Ten Commandments, that there would be a spirit of generosity. He says, do not think in your heart. Even, don't even let it come to your mind. Ah, uh, wait, the year of Jubilee is coming. I'll have to forgive that debt so I won't make the loan. He says, no, you will care for your brothers with an open hand. That this radical generosity would define our people and our love for one another. You are the blessing. And so because God loves us first, we must love one another. We must be the blessing. I, I skipped over verse 12, and I'm a Bible professor, so that's, that's pretty much the worst thing I could do, so I won't. And, and I, the reason I skipped over it because it's harder. <laughs> so in, in your versions... Uh, in, in the ESV, in my version, it says, Because you listen to these rules and keep and do them, the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the steadfast love. And that can give us the impression of the opposite of what we've been saying. Because God, because we obey us, God, because we obey, God loves us. Well, the, there's at least one thing we can gain right off the bat from recognizing the, the oddness of this verse. And, and that is that that obedience is not an optional add-on. As I'm preaching the love of God from, from the law, do not think that I am saying, come as you are and stay that way. God loves you no matter what. I'm not exactly saying that. I am saying that God has loved you and has sent Christ into this world to die for your sins because he loved you, because he promised that. Now go and obey. That your motivation must lead to obedience. And if it's not leading to your obedience, if, the, if there is a point in your life where you're saying, Look, I will obey you here and hear God, but, but this one I keep. But I would ask you to look in your heart and, and ask yourself, has the love of God touched that part of my life? God, my, my job, I, I will obey you in everything, but, but don't touch my security. God, I will love you in everything, but there is this young woman, there's this young man that I really like, and I know you told me that if I marry somebody outside the church that it will lead me away from you, but 
but let me have this one. That's, that's what Moses is focusing on. Is that right? Don't intermarry. That, why? Because he's saying, is, is if you start down that road where, where your obedience does not follow God's love, then the truth is that there's some part of your heart that has not truly grasped the love of God for you. Because it will change you. I think a second thing as we, we look at this verse, and I'm a Hebrew professor, so I would love to sit down with you and talk about the conjugations of the verb. But I'll, I won't do that. But let, let me suggest to you the, the thing we do to this verse to understand it better. And it's quite simple. You see the comma in my version, it's right before the words, the Lord your God will keep you, which gives us the impression that that's what happens afterwards. Uh, but I have to tell you that there are no commas and commas in the Hebrew Bible, and so we have to use other structures. And, and actually, I think what we need to do is we need to move that comma, replace it by a period, and put the comma before uh, the obeying. In other words, what he's saying is, because you are hearing these commandments, you must keep them and do them. See, the law is still there. Because you are hearing these commandments, you must keep and do them. But listen, God will keep the covenant and his covenant love for you. One of my favorite stories is Judges 2, 1 to 5. And and in Judges 2, God sends an angel to the people. The people have broken the covenant. And he says to them, I promised I would never break my covenant with you. What is this you have done? You see, we break our covenant constantly, but God never breaks his word. And so as as we struggle with that reality, what happens after that? What does God do when we are in the situation where God has promised his faithfulness to us and we have been unfaithful to him? Always, Always what God does is he sends us a solution. He provides a substitute. He provides himself to keep the covenant. I will keep the covenant for you. I will keep my love for you. You may fail on the days that end with why, but I am always faithful. The last thing God, Moses says to us in Deuteronomy 7 is that because God loves us, we must not fear. In verse 18, you shall not be afraid. Verse 21, you shall not be in dread of them. And he says, what happens when you start fearing them rather than God is this. You start worshiping their gods. Verse 25, you shall... Do not worship the carved images. Burn them with fire. Don't covet their silver and their gold, lest you be ensnared by it. Verse 26. This is, this is powerful. Look at this. You shall not bring the abominable thing into your house. Don't, don't bring that sin. Don't bring that idol. Don't bring that snare into your house. Why? Because you might become devoted to destruction like it. We are what we worship. That as we 
bring these things into our lives as we say, well, this one I'll keep. Uh, this, this, this fear I'll, I'll guard. This, this idol, this money, this relationship, I'll keep that one. We run the risk of becoming destruction, becoming devoted to destruction like it. John tells us the world is passing away along with its lusts. Don't pass away with it. Seek after God. But Moses speaks our heart for us. If you say in your heart, verse 17, these nations are greater than I, how can I do them? How can I dispossess them? How can I do this? Isn't that the rich young man's question, wasn't it? What do I need to do to be saved? Um, Moses much says you can't. <laughs> They're going to do all of these things that Moses has just finished telling them don't do. But remember, God's love came first. But what does Moses give us to be able to have strength to resist the sin that comes on each day? He says, remember. Remember what God did. And so, here's the difference. Here's the key exegetical thought to understanding the Old and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, we remember what God did, but mostly we look forward to the future promises that God will accomplish. It's his Messiah. That is the great strength of, of obedience for the people of Israel. God has promised. But you and I have something far greater. We don't have a promise of someday we have a person, Jesus Christ, who has come. So when you remember, you're not remembering something God did to a people long ago. You are remembering a person who died but came back to life and is now seated on the throne, the king. He is there now. And so your, your strength and obedience does not come Merely from a memory, though that is a great memory, a great work of God. Your strength for obedience, your, your power to conquer the fear that leads you into sin is a living Messiah who intercedes for your behalf, who prays for you. We say that a lot, don't we? I'll pray for you. Jesus says it too. I think he means it. I will pray for you. What inheritance were they afraid to to gain, to win? They were afraid to enter this land because they were mighty people there. And Moses just told us, they're better than you. You're not able to beat them. But they did. God gave them a kingdom and a king, David. He gave them prophets. He gave them the temple. He gave them a home. And he came and he lived with them. God was faithful. It was a long road. It was a hard road. And they failed at every step. And yet God continued to work through them. What is our inheritance? Our inheritance is better. Because our inheritance is not a land in Israel. But Israel here is beautiful. I haven't been there. Probably not as beautiful as Quebec. Quebec is beautiful. You should all come. 
our inheritance is the very kingdom of heaven, a home. Listen to what Paul, what Paul says about this inheritance. Romans chapter 8. For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption to be called sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Favorite verse in the New Testament, John, 1 John 3, Behold, what love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Look at verse 17 if you're there. Romans 8. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. What is your inheritance? What is the, the, the thing that gives us hope in the face of fear. It's Christ's inheritance. It's his throne. It's his glory. This, I think, is one of the hardest things in the Bible for me to believe. That the king of glory, the God who spoke and and light happened, the God who has always existed says, I want to share my home with you. I want you to rule with me. Do you believe that this day? Thank you. Dale. Dale believes it. If we truly believe this, it will change our lives because God first loved us. Obey. Because he has an inheritance for you. That is never going away. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. There are times that these verses are hard to understand. But help us to grasp the big picture. The message that Moses gave us. That you have loved us. And so you call us to a different kind of life. A life of obedience. A life of faithfulness. And so, Lord, would you set our eyes upon the hope of Christ that we may press forward in obedience to you. Amen.